This is Inspiring Nurseries podcast for nursery managers and owners and all those inspiring to be leaders in the early years sector. We are one of the only UK-based early years specialist podcasts bringing you trusted consultants, trainers and leaders in the so industry. So join me, Kate, co-founder of Hello Mums. And me, Marnie, founder of Sporty Minis. And make sure you subscribe because we know you're a busy professional and we also know that you will not want to miss this show. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and would love a review on iTunes. Hello and welcome to this Inspiring Nurseries podcast with part two on managing change and transition uh, from a mental health perspective. Last week, we did a fabulous recording with Kate Moxley and Alison Fadaby, along with my superb co-host, Marnie from Sporty Minis. Um, but we haven't really got around to finishing 50% of the conversation. So we started off talking about managing change for the staff and talking about how nursery managers deal with the relationship that they have with their staff and how they're going to work together and how to deal with all those things related to mental health and well-being. Um, so before going into today's chat about children and transition, I just want to quickly sum up that um, we had our wonderful Prime Minister talking uh, on Sunday evening. Today is the 12th of May. Um, so he had, sorry, it's the 14th of May. Oh, time flies by when you have fun. Uh, <laughs> so we had uh, Boris Johnson saying that nurseries are to go back along with primary schools. And then the Department for Education issued lots of documentations during the week about how it is all happening. But it is now certain that from the 1st of June, children, all children in nursery are being invited to come back in one way or another. Um, now, Marnie, as I know, and probably most of our listeners know, both you and I are parents and we both provide services to, to nurseries. And whilst you offer a physical educational program, I offer temporary staff to nurseries. Um, but first and foremost, we are both mums uh, with our little ones and with our worries and, and our anxiety. Um, so what, where do you think going yeah, so first of all, Alison and Kate, thanks so much for joining us again. So um, my question and what I'd love to hear your discussion about is what advice can you give early years professionals in relation to management of the children as they transition back into their settings as they open? Um, wow, I mean, it's going to be really big for some children, isn't it? We, we've, we've been given guidance uh, that says children need to be in smaller groups and with uh, uh, an adult, obviously, that's the same adult as much as possible as well. So we've, we've been given guidance around that. But when we think about uh, children's um, mental health and, and, and what they've been through in this long period of time, uh, we really are guided by their behaviour. And, and 
and our observational skills are going to be really really needed at this time and, and so are our assessment skills too you know we, we're not we we're not talking about assessing and, and writing and making assessments and making um um you know things on on their journals and things like that we're talking about really assessing where children are at um from a mental health point of view so i always advocate something called observe wait and listen which is a hannon Hannon thing, uh, which is speech and language therapy tool, and 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 that just means that we really sit back and observe and see what's going on. Just wait to see what children do, and really tune in and connect with them, to to really listen to um, where they've been and 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 how they have managed to um, take on board um, that this big long period of time, and, and what they're going to do with that information. Absolutely. I think, you know, in our last podcast, we spoke a lot about staff well-being. So, um, and we started off by talking about, you know, our understanding of what well-being is. And I think it's important to go back to, you know, re-emphasise just how important it is that the staff are well supported through this process to be ready to go back to work so that they're emotionally available, so that they're in the best possible position to you know re-establish and nurture these connections with young children um, and and also I suppose you know understanding what well-being means for our, for our young children as well I've seen like we all will have um, all sorts of different risk assessments and all sorts of plans and um, that are pages and pages long and sometimes it's quite disheartening to see that really far down there's one small box that talks about well-being and what that means for staff and what that means for children and you know if everyone listened to the podcast last time they'll understand that my belief is that well-being is absolutely the, the starting point and actually it goes back to every single thing that we do so you know, how have we kept in touch with our families over this period of time and, and children? How well do we know what they've been experiencing? Because, and Alison, I'm sure it will be the same for you. I've spoken with so many different practitioners and um, so many different, you know, uh, parents themselves. And not one of us have had the same experience in our home life at the moment. We have different age children. We have different responsibilities. We have got all sorts of things going on. And so in turn, so have our families. So it's how we can perhaps support them to know that we've, we know all of that information to welcome them you know, when the time comes. But because we know, you, you know, we know we've got to make changes to the environment and, and changes to the resources, going to be less resources because that will help with cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. But my worry is, is all of that gets done. And then when children are, uh, you know, welcome, trying to resettle back in to somewhere that feels very different, that is got a different atmosphere, everything's been moved around. Um, I think it probably would be a really good idea to either do a little video of the changes or, or, or to include children in those changes as much as possible. Um, I, 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 I just don't think that that's going to be really, really easy and to help them resettle. I've seen some wonderful social stories on Facebook, actual physical photos of members of staff. 
um, where children can put on face masks for staff where that's appropriate because it's not always appropriate but it might be you know um, when we're thinking about the different PPE equipment that we might be wearing um, and how we're supporting children with intimate care and all sorts of different things and some of them were, they were actually the staff with velcro and different videos and so you know for some children who are older they can understand some of these things it's about enabling them to feel confident and courageous and capable in making some choices and also I think it goes back to how well we knew uh, the children in our care anyway I mean a lot of the you know the training that I do when I'm in settings is talking about just how important the role of that key person is and you know there's that fam famous quote um, I can't remember her last name now I want to say Rita Wilson but it's not Tom, Tom Hanks's wife and it's the wonderful lady that talks about championing children and and how every child needs a champion someone who shows up someone who believes in them and ultimately someone whose eyes light up when they walk through the door and mm. I think you know in our roles it's so important we, we, we notice children they want to be seen they want to be heard they want to be listened to and so how are we showing them that we've thought about them if we've had to you know, reduce the equipment and the toys and the resources and change things around? Have we put special things in that we know that they like? How have we shown them that we care and that we're thinking about them? And how are we able to, you know, when they walk through that door, show that we're showing up and we're there for them? Mm. I, I really, really like that idea because we know that um, if children have anxiety, they tend to play that out, don't they, as well? Um, and, and they tend to, um, I can envisage, you know, lots of masks being put on toys and things like that and in the home corner. Um, but with a reduction of resources, I can also see that a real opportunity opening up for children to really use their imagination with the, little, the, the few things that they've got. Um, and, and for me, that's a really important thing because my personal belief is that we need to encourage children to think more about their feelings and more about themselves and more about their their role in this world and more about their role in looking after their friends and um and having conversations and really really having that empathy um to to, to think about each other and, and to think about where they sit and that their decisions that they make could affect somebody else so when we're talking about catch it and bin it and, and kill it um we we don't we we you know we teach the child that and it's but it's got to be much more about teaching hasn't it it, it this is much more about okay it's, it's your cough it's your sneeze it's your responsibility to to support your friends and the people that we're here um and you know hopefully we're we're encouraging children to, to think much more about each other and I think that will hold them in good stead for the future absolutely I think what we're talking about is that ability to whilst we're talking about them being able to take care of themselves and understand that what we're also working towards is developing their emotional um, literacy so we are role modeling that and that's something I talk about all the time so you know in early years there's this whole oh you know we must leave our problems at the door but I think I mentioned last week you know that's impossible and at the moment um, as, as a caregiver it's okay to say to the children yeah I've been a little bit worried about that too and talk about actually how that shows up in our bodies so 
you know, I, I was 40 this week and I'm still working out that sometimes when I feel angry, <laughs> how that shows up in my body. So when we're, when we're so much younger, it's making sense of that. So how is that showing up in our bodies right now? And we, we, I think we, we kind of talked about sometimes those children that need most amount of love, care and attention, ask for it in the most unloving of ways. And so we're supporting them towards being able to regulate their emotions um, and this we're asking them to transition and go back at a time when they're still learning how to develop all of these things. Mm -hmm. So being able to, you know, give some examples of things that maybe have been worrying for us, talking about, you know, and you mentioned anxiety, you know, how many times have we experienced anxiety, worry or stress, and it's shown up in our body, and we haven't actually related that to how it's shown up. So whether we've had tummy ache or we've had a headache or we felt exhausted after a long day or we felt fearful and not wanted to go and do something. And our young children are, you know, going to be experiencing all these different things. And in some cases, they're supported by parents who are, and as we've talked about in various different circumstances, but sometimes they're supported by parents who are able to support and calm their worries. And sometimes parents themselves are having those worries and anxieties. So how can we work together to share that we are doing all that we can at the moment? Mm. And so there's so many different ways in which we can do it. And you were right at the start, you say, you know, it's not about planning so much. It's not about observation, but it is about noticing them, isn't it? What's happening for them? How are they, you know, are they different to how they were before they went away? Mm. So it's like just, just finding someone new, isn't it? What I'm actually quite excited about is for a long time, we've had, um, uh, obviously we're in early years and it's early education and it's a seven areas of learning and it's boom 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 um and you know I, I cut my teeth on the care side of that as a as an NNEB that was that was my grounding was to you know it was care and education that we were providing so you know I really want to welcome that care side back also, we've had um, uh, as our two forefronts, really, Ofsted and the seven areas of learning. And, and that's been, um, you know, that's been not hanging over us, but, but that's been at the foremost of our mind for such a long time when, when we're at work and when, when we're a practitioner. And, but now those two cards have gone and uh, because we've got disapplications and we know for this current time that Ofsted, uh, aren't, aren't, although they are around, um, they're not uh, inspecting as they were, they're still doing regulatory uh, inspections. We now have a safeguarding and all of that care element of safeguarding, which is what our protective measures are. They're just how we're going to care for those children. And we've got well-being as well, which is which is so we can we, we're sort of freed up to, to really understand what emotional literacy is, really understand what what well-being is and nurturing is. So um, from from that point of view, I'm actually a bit excited. Yeah. Absolutely. A big thing I ask staff to consider when I'm delivering training around children's emotional well-being is why do we do what we do the way we do it? I don't know if I managed to get my words out properly there, but sometimes we do things because we've always done them in that way. And we have different cohorts of children. We um, you know, are experiencing all new different things at the moment with our routines. So I think it's an opportunity to reflect on why we're we doing things in this way. How does it work for us? 
So I know lunch times, for example, are really not the most enjoyable always of, of experiences in a, in a setting or in a school hall because of the of the rush, of the stress, of the noise, of the busyness, and it becomes something that isn't enjoyable. And I can remember having the opportunity to go to Reggio Emilia in Northern Italy and seeing young children lay tables with linen tablecloth, cutlery, flowers on the table, and glassware and choose and talk about really excitedly who they wanted to sit next to at meal times and it was the opposite of what we experience here and it really it really stayed with me because you know why sometimes do we endure things in our daily routine why do we set sometimes children up to fail by expecting them to sit down for a story for 20 minutes when I can't sit for a story for 20 minutes Alison I'm not sure about yeah. you and sometimes we know children this isn't suited for them but sometimes we expect them to conform to things why are we why are we doing that so I think as we go back we're going to have such additional empathy and compassion for ourselves for each other and it's an opportunity to think about what was working before we went away where were we what's going to work for us now how is that making a difference to the children as they um, as they come back and I suppose it's important to consider those settings that haven't been away at all. Last week, I don't know if there's been any change to the figures, but I think I talked last week, the latest research that I'd seen from CEDA was 37% mm. of nurseries that continue to stay open. They've adapted. They have used common sense in lots of different ways. And they are really going to be um, wonderful advocates now to you know, empower us and support us emotionally as we make these tricky decisions. Mm. On the uh, family conference that I took part in today, uh, there was a lovely uh, Danish owner, uh, Anne, and she was saying actually how quickly her children have adapted. Um, and um, I, I, you know, there was lots of people listening to that and I thought, oh, absolutely you know don't be prepared for children to adapt really really quickly and i and i you know this will this will, this is their lives this really is because i do think lots of these protective measures are going to be with us for for quite some time um and um and we, and we need to guide ourselves and, and um you know and really recognize that they're just not going to go away this we are going to live in a very different way i believe for, for actually quite a long time Absolutely. And just going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the planning and what support we're putting in place, a big thing as well is the characteristics of effective learning, which gets forgotten about so often because, as you said, we're so focused on those seven areas of learning and proving things for offset, doing things for other people, sometimes a necessary overcomplicated paperwork. And actually, all we need to do is really know our children well. And at the moment, and as we go back, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We don't need reams and reams of paperwork or evidence for other people because we're able to talk about the children in front of us, how we see them, how we've responded, how we're going to adapt to things to support them. And I think sometimes because the characteristics are effective, of effective learning are so wordy, there's so many headings under that one thing, we think, oh, we're too busy with those seven areas of learning. We, we need to prove what their next steps are, show what they've already learned. And actually, before we need any of that stuff, we want to we see that when they come back in, are they, 
Are they happy to be in this space? Are they interested to explore and have a look what's going on around them? Are that, can they sit for increasing amounts of time and be focused? Or, you know, what is it they need? And, and if we, we use that, just loosely, not on about, um, you know, clipboards and tick lists and things like that, but it's such... It's like going back to basics. And I think for lots of people, if they've got caught up in observation, assessment, learning journals, online stuff, go back to the characteristics of effective learning. Look at them again. It's like a light bulb moment for lots of people um, and so useful for what our children need right now. And actually underpinned by you know, emotional um, well-being, underpinned by resilience, all those things that we have, we have talked about. Because that's teaching, isn't it? Yeah. And you're right. We're we're definitely freed up to 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 look at those characteristics of effective teaching and learning, and and show a can-do attitude ourselves, and and to to really use those as a as a basis for for planning exciting um, experiences. Because children are going to still need experiences, aren't they? It's just that they will probably look look a bit different. You know, I know people are talking about um, individual trays of sand. And, and individual trays of water and individual trays of uh, their own toys um, and, and how that is going to be managed uh, I, you know I really can't envisage really I don't know how easy that is going to be to either keep up or, or to keep to keep going with but you know we, we just don't know I think the most important thing is to reflect every day uh, and really take some time to reflect every day and think, okay, what, what worked well and what didn't go so well? I think when, when we've had those areas of learning, um, you know, that we pin everything on, um, we're, we're, we're on a hamster wheel, aren't we? And we've had a chance to, to step off of that wheel now. Um, and, and if we step off, off of it confidently and we can see children thrive and we can see children develop in really different ways that, that we never even knew possible let's hope that stays forever um because uh, you know i do feel really passionately that um children's individual sense of self really needs to be developed i couldn't agree more and i think what we what we kind of thinking about is sometimes i say this a lot we like unnecessary jobs in early years it's happened over a period of time where we you know we're proving things for to other people whether that's offset whether it's line managers whether it's the local authority whether it's parents and families whether it's the pressure that we've put on each other and so we do unnecessary things and sometimes overcomplicate things just because we're trying to show we're wonderful practitioners we're outstanding we're, we're doing this and we're doing that and actually we make things so much more difficult for ourselves sometimes and just you know having those um having those moments to be able to just to stop to pause as you said really develop reflective practice it's okay if today didn't go quite right it's okay mm. if this because nobody's perfect i think it's okay to be like you know this didn't work for us today but we're going to try this again tomorrow and and also you know the children's voice asking them what did you think of this today we tried this we went outside or we tried this in different ways because the reason I'm talking about, you know, unnecessary jobs and making things, you know, a portion of complication is because, 
you know, a lot of what we're seeing online is we're trying to think of every single eventuality in this situation. It's going to be impossible to consider every outcome. And I think it's about trying to, um, you know, solve problems, be solution, you know, find, you know, focus on solutions, that growth mindset of different tactics and encouraging the children to come along with that. That you know, they know their own mind, don't they? They know what they want to do. They know what feels good, what they like. Yeah, definitely. Um, Obviously, we've still got to be very mindful of children's development in order to put some help and support in place. Um, What I am, well, not what I'm concerned about, but what I'm thinking is we how much do we pin on this period of time? How much do we blame this long period of time of let's presume that some children haven't had the, the social opportunities that, that we'd hoped that they would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it just worries me that we're going to see children. We're going to, we're going to say, Oh, that social problem is because they've been inside for eight, nine, 10 weeks and they haven't talked to anybody. I have a gut feeling that children will if you're happy, healthy, normally developing, I think that your your you know children are going to miss out at this time. If 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 they were social before, they'll definitely be social again, um, and they've had opportunities to be social in different ways at home with parents and, and with you know and online etc. And I think that those those children that who have maybe some difficulties socially before all of this, it really does worry me that when when they come back that those difficulties will will be magnified um and and i I don't really want people to 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 blame it on this period of time um because i think developmentally those children probably need some help so i think there's a, a a big piece of work to do around around linking what we're seeing with 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 child development Although we've never had an opportunity, you know, this is a real social experiment as well. What were you like when you, when you, you know, at the beginning of all this in March and where's your development now? I can see that some children are going to be zoomed, you know, children are riding bikes, they're scooting on their own, they're, they're cooking their own dinner, et cetera, et cetera. But, but some children are, are, are really not going to have had a, a, a great time. Um, so it worries me how we sort of define, um, define that time and how much we apportion their development when we when they come back to us to this time does that make sense absolutely i think it perhaps in some ways in the same way as as adults i think this will show up for long times to come i think it will show up in different ways and you're right for the most part when we talk about this situation we are assuming children are safe at home that they have got everything that they need and actually, even if a child is, you know, um, in a, a wonderful home, say, you know, in an affluent area with an affluent family, doesn't necessarily mean they're getting the 
appropriate emotional connection and or support. We can't always assume that that's the case. Um, likewise, if we're thinking about um, you know, more vulnerable children, we can't assume that because they're from a single parent family that they're not having the same opportunities. So I think it's case by case. It's going back to how we know these children, what we knew about them before, how they show up and how we're able to support them and, and what we put in place kind of moving forward. I think you know, we've also we've seen a rise in awareness and understanding of ACEs and how we support our vulnerable children and families. So what is going on? Um, but I suppose, as you said, it's like a social experiment and we don't want to experiment with our youngest children, but putting the emphasis on emotional well-being, on nurturing those relationships, on fostering that connectedness and all of those things, I think let's hope that this period of time isn't so long enough that it does long-lasting damage mm. i think it's been also from a parent point of view if you are a busy working parent and you know you drop off at seven o'clock in the morning on a monday and you pick up at six o'clock on a friday and you've been uh, off work and you've been furloughed and you've been at home what an opportunity to like really know your child you know, because so, because some people aren't going to get, you know, you might not have a holiday until the following Christmas and then you've missed out on a whole Monday to Friday and, and a huge amount of um, children's development. And so how, you know, what a, what a, hopefully what a lovely time it's been for some parents and it's going to be difficult emotionally to, to hand them back as well, isn't it? I'm sure it's going to be a real tie there. Well, I think it's a little bit, kind of thinking about those children that have been at home um, you know with their with their families I can remember and I worked in a school and we had nursery children that came to the wraparound care in the morning and then the nursery class and then we had some children that didn't access wraparound at all they went to nursery and so there was an understanding from some of the SLT at the time that those children that access wraparound and nursery would be much more advanced and be much, much further on and there was like Wow, uproar, because actually we don't know what's going on at home with parents and the opportunities that they're providing for their young children. So it'd be wrong to assume that, you know, one would be worse or better than, you know, would be better than, than the other. And I suppose on, on the other side at the moment, what we're seeing is parents, a lot of the time they put their trust, don't they, in our earlier settings, in that we're preparing their children. And you'll know parents are so preoccupied sometimes with their children's ability to write you know colors or come in and say oh you know my child can you know count to 50 in Spanish and you're thinking that's wonderful Sandra but he can't walk past his friends without punching them in the head and, and you're focusing on those things to be able to support them so I think what's happening at the moment is parents are kind of seeing a little bit of what we do in early years if our approach is play-based and encouraging children to make their own choices it's that you don't have to sit down and make them hold a pencil to learn to grow to develop to thrive and um, you know and really those settings I think that have their philosophy absolutely at the heart of all they do they've been able to say look this is how you can do it in your homes. This is how you can, you know, you can learn through play with your children. You know, you don't need to have an extensive alphabet or, you know, all the paints and the most wonderful resources. You just need your time, don't you? You just need to have that space and that opportunity to engage and listen to the children and see what they want to explore. I'm, I'm amazing. So given that, 
how are we going to help children and parents because they've been together for so long now how are we going to help them with that really huge emotion missing missing mum missing dad missing you know mama miss, missing that real special person because they've been with them 24 7 not been out always been inside uh let's presume and and missing someone is really hard isn't it i mean that really does tug at your heartstrings so how are we going to cope with that how are we going to manage that i think it's important to encourage settings to kind of discover if that's going to be an issue, if it's an issue for the child and if it's an issue for the parent, because sometimes in my experience, it's the parent's need sometimes, not always the child's need. Um, I know it was with my own daughter as well. Sometimes it was my need that I was supported. So how well are we supporting parents and carers, you know, to anticipate that goodbye and anticipate that separation? So how can we update them with what we've done, what we're doing and what we'll continue to do to support them? And then how can we support the parent to then be able to support the child to anticipate that goodbye? So we talked about social stories. I mean, I don't think there's not a person in the country that hasn't seen an early years practitioner reading a story on Facebook at some point through their social media. Um, so how are we talking to children about, you know, it's going to be time to coming back to nursery. And, you know, we're not talking about them coming back all of a sudden, five days a week, 7.30 till 6. It's maybe gradually introducing it. And so I think it's knowing, you know, we know which children happily skip in day after day, which mm. children have always needed a bit more encouragement, which parents have needed that encouragement and kind of nurturing too. It's re-establishing that trust and connection, isn't it? And so it's thinking of it in all sorts of ways. So again, the social media, the way that we've done Zoom calls and um, supported with, with one another. So it may even be, you know, for childminders, at some point in the future, it may be that they're able to see each other in the park before that happens, you know, because we're not all going into large PVI settings. Sometimes it's those smaller um, home from home environments as well, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, um, that's really good. I really like that idea. Um, Thinking about stories, um, you know, I know a couple of stories that, that are re that really, really good. Um, I've seen some COVID stories um, that are sort of online and they're sort of PDS. I think um, that the best sort of story is a story that you make up. And um, I, I absolutely love that because it just shows creativity and shows imagination as well. Um, and, and I think that's a really good way to, to sort of solve problems um, throughout the day as well. Um, so oh, that's something that I particularly just quite like to do. Is there any, um, you know, hard hardback stories that you would recommend at this time? I know my friend's written one and it's called The Problem with Problems. And it's absolutely fantastic. And Tom Hardy read it the other day on CBeebies and she was chuffed a bit. But it's, it's a, that is a really short story, but it's really, really good. Well, I haven't heard that one and I miss Tom Hardy. Um, reading that story so I must make sure that I catch up with that one. Oh, he'll say goodnight to you nice <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't you know off the top of my head I can't think of any specific stories although for mental health awareness week next week 
we talked about this last week, I've put a whole host of resources together and there's a wonderful website that I'm sharing next week that has CAMS resources. So um, it's all, and they have got an extensive list of all of the books that have been made available. There's social stories that you can adapt. So we talked about, you know, maybe taking photographs of the, of the environment that's changed um, taking photos of the staff that are going to be in, in, the, in the workplace and um, maybe what things, you know, might look like. And you can edit those and make them very, you know, rather than doing, you know, unnecessary overcomplicated jobs, you can make them very simply, put them together, share them through your social media, but also e email them out to parents. And for those children that may have specific requirements and need more support, actually printing them out, maybe laminating them to be able to show parents and, and, and to be able to support children with that. Because there's some really good apps, isn't there, as well, that you take a photo and talk about it underneath. I know Chatter, Chatter do a really good one as well. And that would be a really good idea if you are, if you are filming your environment for a virtual show round, which, we, which we've talked about, because I think that's really beneficial. But then perhaps capturing that and um, sort of deconstructing the area and, and taking pictures as you go, that would be really yeah. helpful for that. And I think if you've got some children in your setting already, you could encourage some of the older children to actually record it and show them around and, and say, this is what we've been doing here and talk it through. I know my friends uh, trip, got triplets who are five and he's been talking about blogs and filming. They've been filming the most wonderful things in their garden and sending them to us. So actually for those children that might already be there or when they're thinking of returning, get the children to maybe do some of these things as well. And then also both ways. So we've seen what the nursery looks like. They could share some things from their home as well. So you've got some conversations to talk about what were you doing at home while you've been away? What did you enjoy? Um, you have spoken quite a, a bit about, you know, coming back and all those things and, and the books that are available. What about grievance? Because obviously there will be quite a lot of families and staff members. So how about, because children will come back, they will have numerous random words that they will be throwing at. You will die. This will happen. That will happen. So what, what should we do about that? I think we have to acknowledge it because that is information that children have um, taken on board and, and we need to, to acknowledge that. It goes back to what we've been saying about knowing children um, and, 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 and it's, we've got to um, you know, know what to probably say. So probably have a conversation with, with each other as a staff team, how you're going to address it. Um, a really good idea would be to, to come together and, and have some scenarios. What are we going to say if we're, you know, we're running around the garden and I'm virus and I'm going to get you? Um, I, I, you know, Cowboys and Indians does not happen anymore. But, oh, none of you will probably remember playing that. But that, that is not going to happen anymore. It's going to be, I'm the virus and I'm going to get you. And, and, and you know, it may be something like, you know, we had guns and, uh, and, and some people said, you know, we don't have guns here. Although, you know, I, I, do, I do believe in gunplay and the benefits of gunplay. I think it's going to be like, like one of those tabooy type challenges, things that we need to come to some agreement around. Yeah, having a conversation about 
different words that we use. I mean, last week we were talking about mental health and talking about, you know, the more confident, the more knowledge we have, the more we learn, the more confident we will feel, the more able we will feel to have maybe tricky conversations. And so with our young children, it's if they have experienced loss, if something traumatic has happened at home, then how can we support them when they talk about these things? It's not being terrified or scared to say the wrong thing. And so that's why it's so important to find out this information from parents at home. We don't want to, you know, hear over the snack table for the first time that one of the children that we care for has lost a grandparent or a close, you know, family member. So because then if we respond with words that the parents don't feel comfortable with, then that can be difficult as well. So I think it's understanding and knowing that. Um, I would also recommend a lady called Amanda Saderhelm. I think I said that correctly. Um, she is um, a, a child and family play therapist, um, but she supports children with loss and with grief and change. And she shared some wonderful things for mental health for early as well being week last year and so you can find her and her book um to be able to support um young children she's fantastic the the child bereavement um uk uh, website is really good as well and and so is winston's wish i found that quite helpful in the past um i haven't looked at that recently but but i will absolutely tap into that and i know you know lots of people have, have done some really helpful blogs i know tamsin grimmer has done one as well there's a, a wonderful um, booklet that was produced by St. Mary's Hospice and it's called The Ground Feels Wobbly and it's written in the world, words of, a, of a, a young person who had lost um, a family member and how the ground felt to them and contained within the booklet are some wonderful um, activities and support to enable us to understand what it must feel like for a child to be experiencing that and just put in a child's words you know the ground feels wobbly is just quite powerful I think mm, interesting yeah have we answered your question Marnie yes absolutely um there was quite a few times there where um i get like goosebumps when i get excited <laughs> and when you were talking about um learning through play and you were talking about going back to basics i was like yes this is going to be great i want to go back to the settings <laughs> yeah it's really good i do have one sneaky little question actually and um kate you did touch on this and i know you're going to cover a little bit more next week in your mental health awareness week but what are two or three tips that managers could be giving parents if communicating with parents before we reopen about what to expect from their children? Because um, I definitely have a very clingy two and a half year old that has not left my side in the last eight weeks. And um, I know she's going to go through a bit of struggle. And actually I'd love to hear from my nursery manager, you know, one or two tips that, could help me get her ready for when I take her back so my, my first question would be is that how she normally is with you is she normally clingy is she normally or is it just because is it because you're you're spending so much more time together now you're her safe space and so she you know she's getting all her comfort from you yeah yeah I think she's definitely been generally quite you know very a mummy's girl but you know, she went to nursery three days a week and she had a babysitter two days a week. So she was very used to not spending a lot of time with me. 
Um, so I think it has come down to, yeah, just basically being locked in the same house 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose it would be um, connecting with her key person, whoever that might be within the setting. So you being able to have those conversations about maybe your worries as a parent. So you know that she's being extra clingy with you. So you're anticipating that this might happen. So, you know, how can the nursery manager kind of support you? And of course, you know, nursery managers have got so much going on at the moment, but they want to make sure that when the time comes that you're happy and children are happy. So how can you have that conversation where she's able to support you know, you and your daughter. So I suppose that's the, the, those first questions, knowing what, as we've said, is going on, what's going to be helpful and useful. You know, what is the most important thing that they think your child's going to perhaps need at this time? So, you know, we've heard from, I was speaking to a friend today who owns a nursery and she was saying she, a lot of her family is the children are crying and pointing to the door and wanting to go back to nursery. So it's knowing what this child needs, how much more support. So if I knew that there was a particular, you know, maybe group of children, then those social stories that we talked about might be especially helpful. And, you know, knowing what her current interests are. So maybe before we broke up, you know, we knew that she loved and, um, you know, outside play, for example, maybe she loved going in the sandpit. So I don't know why I chose sandpit, because that's probably the trickiest thing to, <laughs> to be able to offer right now. So if that's the case, how can we offer that for her and let her know that we've prepared something that's really exciting and ready? And I think it's reestablishing that, knowing that you're going to come back for her and readjusting to this new kind of normal. Nice. Yeah, great. Thank you. I'm not sure if I answered that in three, but I just gave you lots of information. <laughs> it's perfect. I think I think the whole podcast has been um, fantastic to see, to listen to you um, ladies both bounce off each other. And I think from our listeners' perspective, um, these are conversations that they don't get to have. So to be able to sit back and listen to two experts in the field you know, speak about something so current and so important in the up and coming weeks is fantastic. So thank you so much. It's been fab. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been fabulous. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, thank you all of you for coming and joining us for today's Inspiring Nurses podcast. This was Alison Fadaby, early specialist, Kate Moxley, a wellbeing and mental health expert for the early year sector. Marnie Wills, my co-host, who is also founder of Sporting Minis, and I am Kate Wilson from Hello Mums. Thank you, everyone, and join us for another inspiring podcast in the coming days.